From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter at Columbia University. I teach linguistics, among other things. My book, just out this September, is Words on the Move, Why English Can't and Won't Sit Still, Like Literally. And this is Germaine today. The next one, out in January, is called Talking Back, Talking Black. Although, what I want to talk about this week is the new role that Black English is playing in American speech and why. I swear I'm not doing that to plug the book. I'd want to do this this week if my next book were about breeding clams, just because it's something that's been on my mind lately, and it was even before the event of November 8th. I'm thinking of something that Carl Jung said. He said in 1930, actually he wrote it, that Americans have what he called slightly negroid mannerisms. And what he seems to have been referring to was gestures and aspects of what he would have called mentality and movements and also language. And he kind of talks around that. He wasn't trying to be a linguist, but it's an interesting statement, this idea that an American, and of course what he meant really was white Americans, have something black about them from the perspective of a European. And it brought me to mind of something about more modern white and non-black Americans. And of course, because this is Lexicon Valley and this is me, it was about language. If you're a linguist, you often get questions as to why people are using some new expression. And often the answer is that the expression is an adaptation of some kind from black English. So some years ago, I remember that a question that was being asked for about 10 minutes was, why do people say who dat when they're doing cheers for the Southern University Saints? And the answer was, well, who dat is who is that in black English? But the thing is, you explain this sort of thing and you find that your media interlocutor doesn't quite know what you mean. or Whoever you're talking to doesn't quite know what you mean, partly because we're so ticklish about the whole notion of there being a black English or what linguists often call African-American vernacular English. I've always found that problematic for various reasons. And so I'm going to stick with black English. But since we're not clear what black English exactly is, if somebody says, well, that's taken from black English, then there's a sense of maybe guilt, maybe discomfort, and maybe genuine perplexity. I want to explore the extent to which being a modern American means having a different relationship to black speech than Americans had in the past. And that past is certainly over 100 years ago, but at this point, even over 20 years ago. But of course, first, I have to explain what do I mean by black English? Because I think for very understandable reasons, we're trained to wonder whether there's a such thing at all. We think maybe black English is the same thing as southern white English, although I think we mostly feel in our bones that there is a difference, but you don't want to go there. Well, let's let's go here for a second, because there is such thing as black English. It's wonderful. It's interesting. And there are people who write books about it, and they are not only me. For our purposes, let's be quick and dirty about it. What we mean by black English is three things. And let's have them all begin with S for mnemonic purposes. So slang, but not just slang, sound and syntax. Slang, sound, syntax. So slang is easy. I think any of us have a basic sense that there is a slang that we primarily associate with black people. 
there are times, and this is part of what I'm going to discuss, where slang that starts with black people becomes mainstream American slang. But I think if only from rap, we have a sense that there's a such thing as black slang. Many people understandably suppose that when someone talks about black English, all they mean is slang. But no, there's more. So sound. What do I mean by black sound? Some of you may remember a Lexicon Valley podcast back last summer that I seem to recall I was the guest for, where we talked about that issue of black sound. And one of the upshots of it was that there is such thing as sounding black that's different from sounding white Southern, and that it's just because people who speak a variety of language have, among other things, different ways that they produce vowels. So what do I mean by black sound? We're not going to get technical about it today. This is a Burger King commercial from 1990. Now, the simple fact is most of us listening to just this soundtrack from the commercial know that the two people are not white. Hey, Dad. Yeah. How'd you get to be so big? I guess I just grew that way. They're not talking about anything we would associate with black culture. There's nothing particularly black about Burger King last time I checked, but you just know. Listen. You really got to want it. You got to taste it. You got to be able to smell it. I mean, you really got to be hungry for it. Yeah, can we get the Burger King? I am really hungry. That is, in fact, Del Curry. Here's a rare time when I will actually address sports on the podcast. It's really a black hole topic for me. But that is his son, who is now grown up and has a similarly cute child of his own. But my point is, you knew what color they were, and it's because of certain configurations of vowels and intonation that let you know that a person is almost always, when they have that particular sound, black. Syntax. By that, I mean sentence patterns. And so in a previous Lexicon Valley, I talked briefly about not having the verb to be. And so if somebody says, she, my sister. Now, believe it or not, when you leave the verb to be out and when you use it, all of that is based on rather complex rules in black English that one writes papers about. And believe it or not, there have been quite a few. But all of that is to say that black English has its own grammar, or we could call it syntax, especially if we're trying for these three S's. And those S's once again are slang, sound, and syntax. Black English in modern American has a certain meaning, especially to Americans below a certain age. And that meaning is that we associate black English, despite the fact that there's stigma attached to it when it comes to associating it with, unfortunately, intelligence, despite the fact that there's a part of us that associates it with all the things we associate with street. There's also a sense of warmth that we feel in it. It's authentic. It's comfortable. It's sincere. Now, it has to be clear that this isn't only about black people in this particular country. This is how language goes. And so, for example, Scottish. In Scotland, you can talk about home and you can talk about hame. They mean the same thing. Hame is Scottish for home. But they don't really mean the same thing because hame is how the word home came out in Scots, which is basically what English proper would be like if you roll the dice again. It's another member of the family. It's another kitten in the brood. The sounds went differently. So, hame. Now, to a Scot, home is the formal word. So, what is your residence? Sure. 
if you're going home in that expression, right? Hame, though, is the fireplace and your friends and comfort and your memories such that you might have a song that people in Scotland are familiar with, such as Granny's Heelan Hame, Highland Home. Listen to how it goes. Neat the shadow of Ben Braggy and Osby's lordly stain. How I wish that I could see my granny's Heeland Hame. If you roll the dice again, that is exactly how we might say Highland Home in the kind of English that we happen to be speaking right now. But Hame to a Scot is how black English is beginning to work, not only for black people, which it has for centuries at this point, but for Americans in general. It's very interesting. It's something that's been happening with more rapidity since the 1990s. And like so many things that are interesting, it's largely below the radar, but it's very much there. And so, for example, the kind of question that one gets can be answered if we understand this, such as about the new expression, woke. Woke is what we would render in standard English as awakened. But that's not what woke means these days among many black people, but now it has jumped the rails to use by white people as well. What's woke? Well, woke refers to a certain kind of political consciousness. And so to say that one is woke is to say that somebody understands what's going on in terms of especially things referring to social justice and the social justice movement and things that are disadvantaging various people. If you are woke, you understand what is keeping people down. Now, the first thing many of us hear when we hear woke is, well, you know, it's bad grammar. But for whatever it's worth, forms of the past and these participles are always extremely flexible as you watch English going by over the years and in various mouths. It's interesting, for example, sink, sank, sunk is the way I learned it. So you sink, yesterday you sank, and you have sunk. That's quote unquote proper. It's amazing how many people use sunk for the past and people who we are not inclined to censure for any reason. And so, for example, Dickens, 1836, the Pickwick Papers, cold punch, murmured Mr. Pickwick as he sunk to sleep again. That wasn't a typo. That's just there. You can find it in any edition. Or I happened to catch on BuzzFeed. Yes, I do occasionally a few days ago. Buffett's last bet on a major airline came in 1989 when he sunk $358 million into U.S. air. That's right in there. Nobody caught it. So you, know, you never know what's going to happen with these forms. So woke, call it creative. But woke is one of these black English forms that has made it into mainstream American English. It seems to become more entrenched, at least in this year, 2016, by the week. And you know what's interesting about woke is that it's not as new as we might think. Fashions come back in and they talk about hemlines going up and down. That is true of some of these words. There is a cute, it is cute piece about black language that happened to come over my transom a few weeks ago from the New York Times. 1962. Turns out that woke was already an expression as far back as then. And so they give an example. If you're woke, you dig it. 
<laughs> so woke is not as brand new as we think. And that piece, if any of you are inclined to go read the New York Times in 1962, is actually a lot of fun in the way that it describes what we now might call black English, what has been called jive and so many other things over time. The subhead is no Mickey Mouse can be expected to follow today's Negro idiom without a hip assist. A Mickey Mouse was apparently a square. So woke is one of those words. Another one. And we have to get a little salty here, but we're talking about real language. Ho, as one might spell it, apostrophe, H-O apostrophe, comes originally from the word whore. And I think we all know what it means. And so if somebody says, well, what's up with ho? Well, first of all, it's the black English sound system expressing the word whore. R at the end of syllables tends to be let go in genuine black English. And so next thing you know, you have ho instead of whore, because obviously there is no W sound at the beginning, except for some people who might be inclined to put a whisper of one there. But that's a whole different issue that I may touch upon in a different edition of this podcast. But ho is black English for whore. But then why are people saying that? Because ho and whore don't have the same Meaning. So whore, we're all aware of the formal meaning, whereas ho has been taken on to indicate a certain judgment about a person's choices, which certainly is not appropriate. It's an epithet, but we know what ho means, and it is not a sex worker, frankly. And so I can certainly say that by the 1980s, late 80s, ho was being used as a slang term by people who were not black at all. And it was used with a certain jocularity, but it had a very specific meaning that you probably only fully understood if you were a teenager or you were a 20-something. There's something similar these days with the word ratchet, which is Black English pronunciation of wretched, and has a similar kind of meaning that I'm just going to let go. But it's a process that one sees. Those are some slang terms that have jumped the rails, so to speak. And in all of those cases, we see that the word is used to convey, again, authenticity, sincerity, getting down to brass tacks, using black English forms to express that aspect of human nature is what you can think of as a kind of subconscious meme in modern American English. There was a moderately successful Broadway musical a few years ago here in New York called If Then. And at one point, a character who's supposed to be actually a very woke young white man sings a song that is against elitism and gentrification. Listen to how the chorus of this song goes. This is Anthony Rapp singing one of his songs. sounds so innocent now, especially given how we're used to hearing pop music. But notice, ain't no man Manhattan. Ain't no man. Ain't no. That's a black English construction. And what's important is that the character in the play would never say ain't no in his ordinary speech. Suddenly, when he sings that song where he's trying to convey a certain woke message, he does use ain't no or more particularly the lyricist Brian Yorkie has the person singing ain't no. Now, the song is quite effective, but 
nobody would have written that person saying ain't no in, say, 1945, whatever the politics were, whatever his racial allegiances were. That's today that somebody would spontaneously be written as using a black English form in a song to indicate authenticity. This guy is trying to get across that he's real. He's trying to get across something that we would call grassroots politics, authenticity, sincerity again. And so what this means is that, for example, black English is assumed subconsciously to be the dialect that you sing pop music in. However, you usually talk. I doubt if most singers even think about this. So, for example, let's take let's take a a white singer. I'm trying to choose somebody who's just kind of neutral. And what comes to my mind is Mr. Timberlake, Justin Timberlake. So let's listen to one of his um, hit songs where he expresses an interest in exerting a rocking upon our persons. It's Rock Your Body. And it's frankly a very ordinary, if catchy song. But listen to the dialect that... This song is sung in. Not I've been watching you, but I've been watching you. He certainly doesn't talk the way he sang that song. For example, let's listen to him. Here he is being interviewed by Conan O'Brien. And this is how Justin Timberlake talks. Uh, yeah, I keep getting the question if it was if the sex scenes were awkward. And honestly, I, I, it was not awkward for me to see Mila naked at all. <laughs> now, when you're... Uh, I instantly regret that joke. I'm not saying that Timberlake is fake. He's just doing what he's heard subconsciously. And of course, a lot of this begins with rock singers quite consciously imitating black singers. And so Mick Jagger singing, I can't get no satisfaction. Listen to the enunciation that we're all familiar with. It's easy to forget that that's not the way Mick Jagger would ever talk. He was deliberately imitating black blues singers like Muddy Waters. But in sequence from that, there came to be a sense that to sing pop music that would actually reach people, you couldn't sing it in the dialect that you normally speak in. And so gradually it got to the point where I don't think Justin Timberlake thinks of himself as imitating Muddy Waters. Maybe he thinks of himself as imitating hip-hop singers, but I think he's just singing because he's a modern American and you slide into that alternate dialect as a way of conveying that you are sincere and you are authentic. So Black English has this meaning and it's important to realize it's not just the slang but it's the sound as well. And it pops up in unexpected little places. So, for example, one aspect of the sound of Black English is that this sound, uh, 
is pronounced more like uh. Very subtle. Uh, 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 uh. What I'm doing is pronouncing the sound a little bit higher in my mouth. Now, there's a way of expressing wonder that white people are using these days and have used in the past, but it seems to be really taking off lately. It's becoming an expression that involves pronouncing uh in that way. So I highly recommend Pam Adlin's new, very Louis C.K.-ish show called Better Things. And here is one episode where one of her daughters has told her something which elicits this response from her. And so Missy stuck her finger in her... She stuck her finger up her pussy and wiped it on Hadley's face. What? Why not what? Why what? That's not the way she talks. But then listen to, for example, one of the cutest (laughs) examples of the uh sound in black English. Again, subconscious. This was the conversations between Rudy and Kenny, a.k.a. Bud, on the Cosby show back when we could process it rather more innocently than we do now. But Rudy and Kenny used to have these adorable exchanges where in order to twit him, Rudy would call Kenny Bud, but in an affected way, which was funny because it was blacker. And here's just one clip of Rudy calling Bud, Bud. Give me back my hat, Bud. (laughs) My name's Kenny, Bud. My name's Kenny, Bud. My name's Kenny. Stop it, stop, stop. Now, what's the matter? Same sound. That's the sound in what? And so what you're trying to convey is I am really perplexed down to my socks. This is really throwing me. You've got me vulnerable. Again, it's the authenticity. It's you've got me down to the depths of my being. This is real. Or the syntax in ways that people aren't thinking of consciously. It's just the young way of talking, whether you're black or not. So it's not a matter of actually taking on black English syntax and speaking running sentences in your default mode. But if you want to push a point, if you want to sound real, if you want to get down, if we might use a now antique expression, then all of a sudden you might start doing black stuff in your speech as a rhetorical device. And so, for example, Ali Wong is a wonderful comedian, and this is her special, Baby Cobra. She's playing a character of sorts throughout most of this. And listen to her here making a particular point about what one doesn't have to do under certain conditions. I still got to work at an office every day, which means I got to shit in an office every day. Housewives, they don't got to shit in an office. Housewives get to shit in their house. Housewives, they don't got to muffle their shit, too. They don't got to worry about the velocity with which their doo-doo comes out. They don't got to try to, you know, squeeze the butt cheeks together to make sure that the doo-doo comes out at a slow and steady pace so that no unpredictable noise suddenly escapes and brings you deep, deep shame. Housewives are free to just blow ass into the toilet and let it echo and reverberate to the ends of their hallways while watching as much Netflix on their iPad as they want. They don't gotta take these boring, repressed shits. They can listen to podcasts. 
don't gotta. Don't gotta is unlikely to be her usual default speech pattern. There's a blackness that Ali Wong adopts when she's trying to make a point. Listen also here, just like Justin Timberlake with ah for I, that happens here with her too. They get all squirmy wormy because they're scared. They're scared that if you stick your thumb up there and succeed and they like it, that then it might mean that they're gay. And I like that fear. <laughs> that shit turns me on, you know? You don't hear that in non-black comedians, say, a generation ago. It's a change in the substrate of American English now. Not in terms of its basic default structure, but in terms of how you use it, how you wield it rhetorically to make a point, how you feel American English within yourself, whether you're black or not. I'm talking about these things very clinically, but of course, in our moment, there are people who associate this usage of black English speech patterns by non-black people as cultural appropriation, as taking something away or as something not sincere, but insincere. And so there's a tradition, actually, of people seeing this usage of black English forms by white people in particular as a kind of theft, or certainly as a kind of distortion. James Baldwin was good on things like this. And in an essay in 1979, he noted that white people use these terms, but they don't really know what they mean. He's worth actually quoting directly. He started writing about socket to me, and he says that it has been adopted by Nathaniel Hawthorne's descendants with no qualms or hesitations at all along with let it all hang out and write on beat to his socks which was once the blacks most total and despairing image of poverty was transformed into a thing called the beat generation which phenomenon was largely composed of uptight middle-class white people imitating poverty trying to get down to get with it doing their thing doing their despairing best to be funky and okay there is certainly something to that and more. And you could certainly argue that something like ho or ratchet had a meaning in the black community, which was critical, but with a certain in-group affection, which if taken on by the white community, so to speak, or mainstream American English, isn't going to have the assumed affection and become something more dismissive. There are arguments that can be legitimately had over that. But there's also a case-by-case facet to all of this in that meanings of words always shift. And in some of these cases, you could see it as just a matter of there being an increasing informality in the use of American English in general, which goes along with America being a much less formal country in so many ways than it once was. And we could even refer to what's been titled the browning of the country culturally, at least on the surface. And so certainly, as we know these days in particular, there is racism below the surface and sometimes even on the surface. But in terms of how we use language, we can see an indication that a certain progress has been made. Take dis 
as in disrespect. That's another one of these terms that has jumped from black usage into mainstream usage. And I think it's safe to say today that dis is not a racialized word. I think that below a certain age, and that certain age really might be 60, I usually use 50, but really dis has been around a while. To dis somebody is just to disrespect them and you're using a slang term and that's that. I definitely remember that as late as the 90s, it still had a black flavor. I remember exactly when I heard a white person say dis for the first time. It was the autumn of 1994. And I remember thinking, hmm, interesting that she would use that term. And she was somebody who had a certain diagonal but affectionate relationship with the black community and black English. And I thought, hmm, white people are saying dis. Now I wouldn't think of that at all. Now, I don't think most of us would say that white people are using dis in a distorted meaning that black people didn't originally intend. I think dis is just something that black people created and the rest of America took on. So one can decide from one case to another how one feels about a black usage coming to be used by mainstream America. But the main lesson is that Young, when it came to language, was certainly right about there being something, of course, we're not going to use the term Negroid, but something black about the way Americans talk these days, which is deeply seeded enough that I think most of us don't even think about it. But black English really is becoming young people's lingua franca, and not just in the slang, but also in sound and also in syntax. It's part of what we are. Tell us your thoughts about the show. You can reach us at Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. Follow us on Twitter at Lexicon Valley. Rock your body. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcast, and Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of the Panoply Network. Bring the beat back. This show was edited by Mike Wolo. I'm John McWhorter. Thanks so much for listening, and see you back here in two weeks. Gonna be so quick to walk away. Are you feeling me? Let's do something. Let's make a bet. Cause I...